Well, what a blessing to be, be with you guys and share this morning. Um, so uh, on, on June 4th in 1940, a um, re- newly re-elected Winston Churchill had to address the British House of Commons. And so he um, had to go there with um, some pretty un- unfortunate news. Um, what was transpiring on the continent was the fact that uh, essentially uh, nobody in Europe had been able to um, even remotely slow down uh, Nazi Germany's advance across the continent. And so when he, when he stood up to address the British House of Commons, having just uh, taken over the office and they were bringing in their wartime leader, a lot of people just had a lot of apprehension about what was going to transpire. There weren't a lot of guarantees uh, for success. And so even in that moment, as he was standing up to address them, one of the things he had to notify the British public about was the fact that the British Expeditionary Force was being forced out of the continent. They were currently still removing men from the beaches at Dunkirk and bringing them all back to the United Kingdom islands. And so he was having to notify uh, both the British government and the people that this was the state of the battle that they were in. They had been pushed back, pushed back, pushed back, and now they were having to retreat across the channel back into England. And so he was addressing both a public and his fellow uh, members of parliament that um, they were in a very difficult, dire circumstance. And so some of the things he had to address is people that were, were wondering if or, or what England should do in this specific circumstance with uh, Nazi Germany beating down the door. And although they had been protected um, previous generations because of the channel, now the enemy had developed new technologies and there were things like fighter planes and bombers that could uh, now reach England's shores. And so people were asking the question, like, what should we do to stop Nazi Germany? And so some of the questions might have been uh, appeasement, which is what Neville Chamberlain had promoted before. And so should they try to sign some type of peace agreement with Nazi Germany? Like, hey, you've got the continent, leave us alone. Like, should they seek a ceasefire or should they even seek capitulation? You know, nobody so far had been able to stop this advancing army. And if they were not going to be successful, would it be better at that point to sue for peace, let Hitler have the rest of Europe and make sure that no more uh, lives were lost? And so that's what was going on for Winston Churchill when he stood up to address uh, England that day. And so what he did in that moment was give a speech that uh, you've probably heard a clip of if you've ever watched any movies about World War II, but I thought might be helpful for us today as he was um, having to speak to the fears of his countrymen. And um, as the leader for his country, he had to uh, decide what type of tone was going to be struck and what type of future they were going to aim for together as a country. And as he uh, addressed all of the downside of what the army had been through and the fact that Europe the continent was now completely taken over, he was going to give them marching orders for how uh, the people of England were going to proceed into this battle. And along that course, he uh, made it clear in no uh, uncertain terms that for him and as being the leader of the country, for the country going forward, uh, the battle was not over. And so he uh, stood before his countrymen and he made the declaration about um, what they were going to do in the face of this foe. And he This is what he said. He said, we will fight them on the beaches. We will fight them on the landing grounds. We will fight them in the hills and the highways. We will never surrender. 
And what it did in that moment is it really galvanized the people to realize that although up to this point they had not had any success, there was not a thought of surrender in his mind, and that was what he promoted to his countrymen, that although they had an enemy they had been losing to who had tactics they did not understand and had not been successful against, going forward, it did not matter the outcome they were going to fight. And although they had an uncertain future, one thing they had for sure was that they were not going to give up in that moment. And so what I want to do for us today is to encourage us in the same way. That it does not matter how many times you have fought and lost leading into today. That collectively as the people of God, when it comes to the sin that permeates our life, and that is pornography, but it's other things as well. What do I want to encourage you more than anything else is we're just going to keep fighting. We're going to fight for our families. We're going to fight for our marriages. We're going to fight for our kids. We're going to fight for our own dignity. We are going to engage in the battle together because God has called us to something greater that was just described for us just a couple of seconds ago. And so what I want to do for us this morning is hopefully galvanize us around a similar idea that although up to this point in your life, you might think victory has been impossible, it's not. It's not. And so I want to outline the fight for us. I want to talk about some strategies. We've spent a couple of weeks now just kind of um, bringing this issue to the best of our ability into the light. The fact that it is affecting so many. And so although may, maybe it's not our direct struggle, there is probably someone you love that it is their direct struggle. And so we want to address it head on. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to prepare for the fight. And so I hope you're with me. I hope you brought the word of God, uh, which is the sword of the spirit. And it's what we're going to use to engage in this battle because there's uh, no other truth that will be as uh, satisfactory or as liberating as the word of God. And so that's what we are going to turn to. And so I think it's going to be helpful for us today if we do outline this fight that we're in. And maybe you didn't come in this morning realizing you were in a fight. And if that's, it's going to be really hard to win a fight if you don't actually recognize the fact that you were in one. And so that's the first thing I want to do is uh, to draw your t- attention to the fact that there is a war going on for our souls. And it's a war that's going to be fought on multiple fronts, and it's one that we need to engage on multiple fronts, or we won't ever have complete victory unless we realize what we're actually fighting. And so if you would, um, we're going we're to be in a lot of different parts of the Bible today, so just keep it handy, uh, keep your thumbs ready, because um, we're going to be looking at the Word of God. But we're going to start in James chapter 1, because this is one of the first things we need to realize about this specific fight in outlining what are we fighting against. And so the first thing we are actually fighting against is ourselves. So Pastor Charlie spent a lot more time on this last week, but we need to realize that in regards to sexual sin and specifically the sin of pornography, one of the first fronts we're going to have to confront is ourselves. That there are things that have been broken inside of us in situations and circumstances and families and experiences that have probably placed some things in our heart that have led us to a desire that God would call us away from. So James talks about this. So like we've talked about last week, 1 Corinthians 10, nothing's new under the sun. No temptation is, you know, specific to me that is not common to man. So this is how James describes it in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. He says this, Each person is tempted... When he, is in lured, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So that's the first fight we have to recognize, that we are fighting ourselves because we are tempted and led away by our own desires. There are things in my heart that I am drawn toward that God would tell me to stay away from. And so there's going to be this internal struggle within my soul of what I know to be true from the word of God and what he has proclaimed to me versus what my flesh desires. And so I like that it's confirmed in other parts of scripture. Uh, The apostle Paul put it like this in Romans 7. He said, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. We are having to fight against ourselves. We are having to fight against misplaced desires and idolatry that creeps into our heart and um, um, pushes us towards desiring to be our own God and choosing what is right and wrong on our own. And if we have placed our faith in Jesus and have received the indwelling of his spirit within us, those two things are going to be in conflict inside of us. We are going to feel both sides of that, both the pull towards sin, but also the work of God inside of us. It might look like conviction or um, other areas of our life that just come into contrast with the word of God. We're having to fight ourselves. We have misplaced desires that are going to draw us towards sin. And I like how James pointed it out. When sin gives birth, it gives birth to death. And so the first aspect of the fight we need to engage in is realizing that we're battling our own hearts, our own minds, our own souls, the brokenness of this world that we live in is going to come from within. And so we can't just pick a scapegoat out in the world that's the source of all of our problems when what the Bible tells us is our own sinful heart has much to do with the problems we face. But we don't want to stop there because the Bible describes other things as well. And so, yes, we are going to fight ourselves, but we also have to recognize that we have an enemy we have to fight as well. And so if you would, um, like I said, we're going we're gonna to be getting into the word of God today. Flip over back to Ephesians chapter 6. Might be a passage you're familiar with. It's what we call the armor of God. But I just want to draw your attention uh, to verse 10 and 11 because it should clue us in on that there is something greater going on in the world around us. So Ephesians 6, 10 and 11 say this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so what uh, Paul is writing to Ephesians about is that there is this reality that we might not see with our physical eyes, but there is a supernatural reality to the world around us. And uh, what the Bible describes is we have an enemy that does not want us to walk in the freedom that Jesus offers, but wants us to be trapped by the sin that so closely sticks to us. And what this is saying right now is there is a scheme. So there is a plan in place in the supernatural natural realm, even if you don't want to recognize it, like I said, some of us don't even realize we're in a fight, but what the Bible describes is there is a fight and there's an enemy that is purposefully doing things to keep you losing that fight. And so that's what it's saying. You got to be strong in the Lord because there is a scheme designed specifically to yourself to lure you away from God and to keep you trapped in sin. And we have an enemy that hates you. And so um, Edward even referenced it. Uh, the Apostle Peter said it like this in First uh, Peter 5, 8. He said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
And so we have two fights we have to engage in. One, we have to fight against our own sinful desires, um, what the Bible often describes as the flesh, that there is this pull within us. But then we have uh, another fight we have to engage in is that there is a supernatural enemy, as described by the Bible, that's going to leverage everything that he can to keep you trapped in bondage and sin and led away from the goodness of God. And let me just tell you, those two things are going to work in tandem. What the Bible describes about Satan is that he is uh, the father of lies and the deceiver of the world and that he's been deceiving people from the beginning. And he knows specifically that the way we're wired, that our sexual desire is a powerful component of what it means to be a human and that we do have brokenness within us that's going to manifest itself in uh, specific ways. And so like we, we aren't unique, like we all are facing the same things. And he knows that if he can uh, engineer certain circumstances or introduce certain thoughts is going to um, um, influence you towards indulging in those desires that are contrary to the word of God. And so he's going to leverage the fact that he knows you have some of those desires and he's going to do everything he can to convince you that the only option you have is to indulge in them. And so we have to realize we are fighting on both fronts. We are uh, fighting an internal battle and then we are also fighting an enemy that hates us that is very good It's sounding like your own voice. And we don't have uh, all day to just dig into how it works out. But what the enemy does is he often speaks in the first person. And you're not going to see some crazy thing like uh, the exorcist. You're going to get a thought introduced to you that you think is from yourself. But it's really from the enemy trying to convince you that you have no other options but to indulge in this desire that God has called you away from. And Jesus describes why. He says in John 10, 10, he calls him a thief. And he comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus has come that you might have life, not only life, but that you would have it abundantly. And so we, this day, we need to decide that we're going to fight. We're going to fight on both of those fronts. We are going to lay down those desires that we have that we know God forbids. And we need to fight the enemy that hates us and wants to destroy our families and our marriages and our children's lives. We need to engage in the fight. And so I want to give you some strategies and hopefully help just equip you from the word of God of how we actually do engage in this fight, trusting Jesus. And just like we sing, you know, um, like the old hymn, the victory will be mine, but the battle is the Lord's. And so God has called us to fight through the power of the Holy Spirit to stand firm in our faith and not give way to the schemes of the devil. And so I want to talk about some of those things, like how do we fight? So, I mean, as we've outlined the past couple weeks, this is an extraordinarily pervasive problem. It's like we're facing a foe that just hasn't lost in a couple of centuries. And so how do we actually engage in this fight well? And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I would just advocate for you two two mindsets specifically to um, fighting uh, sexual sin, um, very specifically to pornography. But it's just sin in general also. And so maybe that's not your struggle this morning. Maybe it is something else. And I would say uh, that the same biblical principles can be applied to any area of struggle we have. But this is what I would say in regards to sexual sin and pornography. This is how we fight. One, we need practical safeguards. And two, we need spiritual renewal. And that's what I want to advocate for you this morning. We need practical safeguards and we need spiritual renewal. So I want to talk very simply about what it means to have practical safeguards in your life 
to help you fight against this sin, both internally and externally. So um, the Bible gives us some clues specific to sexual sin. And so 1 Corinthians 6.18, if you've never looked at it, this is what it says about sexual immorality, which is a pretty broad term. It's, it, this is what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, flee sexual immorality. For all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins, uh, sexually sins against his own body. So it kind of puts it in this special category that there is some very specific damage that is done to our hearts and to our souls when we engage in sexual immorality. And that's not um, a, a statement of shame. That's like a, a, shape, uh, a statement of compassion and hurt because we've probably all been there and we know those feelings that accompany us trespassing into those areas that God uh, graciously has told us to stay away from, not because he wants to restrict us, but because he wants to lead us into the best life possible. He says to flee it. We had some time to talk about this a bit more. Last, last year, we talked through the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs talks about this a lot. It gives this special category for it. It just is kind of termed the forbidden woman. And so it's this advice from a dad to his son on how to live well. And he talks about this, like, avoid the forbidden woman. And this is what it says in um, Proverbs 5, 8. He says, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. I think it's repeating the same advice. Flee it. You know, there are times in scripture in regards to our sin where it talks about, or in regards to facing the devil, it says like, stand firm in the faith. That's not what it's talking about when it comes to sexual temptation. It says, get away from it. Flee it. Avoid it at all costs. Because um, back into Proverbs, when it talks about like, hey, if you go down that path, the end of it is death. And I know because we've already shared and we've talked about it a lot, like I've gone down that path. And it brought some death into my life when I, w- when I was a child and I first was exposed to internet pornography and the, the roots that sank into my heart and the things I've had to deal with post that day. Like I've, I've experienced that death. I'm sure most of us have on some level when we've gone down that path that it would have been better for our hearts and souls if we had never gone down that path. And so that's our first advice. We want to flee it. And so I, I know that's still more theoretical than practical. So this is what I would say, like, how can we flee away from the sin, away from uh, sexual immorality? Morality, what strategies can we put in place? And this is what I would say you need to do. And you need to think seriously about it. You need to work very hard to identify and eliminate means and moments of access in your life. We need to flee it. Like most of us walk around every single day with access to internet pornography in our pockets. That might not be the best thing for us. And so, like I said, we need to uh, identify and seek to eliminate means and moments of access. So you just need to be able to have honest conversations with yourself and others. If you are struggling with internet pornography, how are you getting it? Is it your phone? Is it a tablet? Is it a laptop? Is it cable TV? How are you, what is the means of you having access to this sexual sin? And then what are the moments? Like we, we have patterns as people. You know, and I think that's one of the things Satan uses against us. We're not, um, we're not all that unique. And so we need to recognize that there are going to be situations and circumstances that are going to prompt our hearts and minds to send us down that path that even if in our consciousness we say, like, I don't want to go down that path, but we continue to put ourselves in a circumstance where it's going to make it really easy to go down that path. And we need to identify that in ourselves and ask ourselves, okay, like, what are the precipitating events before I do something that I later regret and brings forth death in my life and relationships? We need to look for means and we need to look for moments. Do you travel for work? 
Are you always alone at night? Do you leave your phone on your nightstand? Do you and your spouse have different sleep schedules? We just need to be able to have honest conversations because more than likely sin is working in a pattern in your life and you need to figure out how to disrupt that pattern so that you can um, introduce some fleeing into that pattern as well of getting away from it. And so you need to think about, honestly, what are the means and what are the moments that Satan's going to uh, encourage you into that then those desires that you have in your heart are going to be extraordinarily hard to fight against. We need to be serious about fighting sin in our life. And so this is what I I would say, like, uh, you just have to have this mentality of whatever it takes, I want to be free of this. Whatever it takes. You don't need a smartphone. You don't need a laptop. You don't need cable TV in your house. I, I, I think so often, like, as we count the costs, we just don't actually think that this brings forth death until it's, it's progressed so far that we're losing relationships. That if you would have just been willing to uh, smash a device or maybe even end the internet at your house, it could have saved you a lot of trouble. And so I think this is what Jesus actually talks about. You know, so often we're in, you know, we're in the digital age, and so there's not a specific example in the Bible of like, hey, God, how should we deal with smartphones? But, you know, Jesus says, you know, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. If your phone causes you to sin, get a flip phone. You know, there, there are options we have if that is what is tripping you up and robbing you of the joy of freedom in Christ and uh, sucking the life out of the relationships you have, you probably have some ability to actually remove that thing from your life. And so, but here, here's the other thing I, I want to point out just on strategy. And go, go with me again to First John chapter 1. And this is something we have been talking about more uh, just in general in our sermons. The idea of, 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 of being willing to struggle in the light. Like that is going to be the most powerful thing you could do if there are some areas of your life that are just a, a stronghold that you are having difficulty moving away from. First uh, John, uh, the, the Apostle John, he, he says it like this, starting in verse 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I love that passage. It has so many things that we need to internalize and put into our life. One of the things he just says is like, if we say we don't have sin, we're a liar. That should give all of us freedom to be open about our sin and uh, hopefully press against the pretense of feeling like, hey, I'm in this church setting, and so I can't tell people what I really struggle with because then everybody's going to look at me as I'm somehow dirtier than everybody else. Let's just all agree, like, we all have sin. And if we are in this room or in this place acting like I haven't sinned or struggled this week, we're a liar. And so I I love that he says, you know, but um, if you claim to have fellowship with Jesus, so if you're saying, I am a Christian, I have this God I serve, I proclaim Jesus is Lord, and yet you walk in darkness. And what I truly think that means is like you're being dishonest. 
You're just not willing to admit what's actually going on inside. You're trying to um, uh, continue on in this external veneer of, uh, of self-righteousness that you haven't um, trespassed any. He says, if you claim to walk with Jesus, but walk in darkness, and I just think that's not being known, you lie and you do not tell the truth. But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, and that's what we're talking about, struggling in the light. Because right after it says, if you, don't, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. So what does walking in the light mean? It means we're honest about the sins we struggle with. And so um, as, as a strategy, and maybe it sounds less practical to you, but I, I think it's extraordinarily practical if we would um, strive to put it in place. Um, this is going to require courageous honesty. Because if you, let me just say, if, if you want to actually attempt to eliminate means and moments of access, more than likely it's going to require an explanative conversation with people in your life. Okay, why do you want to get rid of your smartphone? Why do you want to cancel having cable in our house? Why are you putting passwords on your computer? It's going to be really hard to have the conversations you need to have if you're not willing to tell people why you need those safeguards in your life. And if I can just share from experience, you know, um, I, you know, we shared a couple weeks ago how this first got its hooks in, in me and Charlie's life. Like, um, I, I work really hard to, to not have unrestricted internet access in my life. And it's getting harder and harder because they're putting the internet on everything. It's like Home Depot, there's like smart fridges with internet browsers on them. Can't buy a TV that doesn't have access to the internet. And I don't like that. I don't like having that level of access into my life. And so we, um, I, 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 graciously, my, my wife is my partner in this and helping me uh, strive towards purity and godliness in my life because I don't want this death in our marriage and in our life. And so like, if most of you might be familiar, if not, you should Google it later. There's a company called Covenant Eyes. And so what they do is they, um, they have a lockdown browser on your computer or on your phones or on your tablet. And it, uh, you set up an accountability partner. And so it, it emails all of your internet traffic to them. I would say that's a, that's a great first step. Um, but if, if you have the desire, you're, you're probably going to work hard to get around safeguards too. And so you need to be very strategic and very honest about how this has tripped you up and where you get access, and when are moments of temptation. And so th- what this is going to require is courageous honesty to live in the light. But I love that it has a promise right there. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Being honest with your church family about the struggles you have is not going to ostracize you. It's actually going to bring you closer together. One of the biggest lies we buy into is that if we confess our sin, it is going to remove us from fellowship and not bring us into fellowship. And let me just tell you both on on the side of uh, feeling that weight of knowing I need to confess something and I'm terrified to do it, and also sitting with people who needed to confess things to me but were terrified to do it, um, uh, the beforehand angst of what Satan is putting on your mind and your heart about if you are actually honest is far worse than the cathartic freedom of being known. And so what this is going to require in our lives is courageous honesty. And I'm using courageous specifically because I know it's difficult. But it's exactly what we need. 
And um, it's going to require all of us within the church also giving each other permission to struggle within the light. And so if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ covers our sins. We need to get engaged in this fight together. We need to um, encourage each other to flee these things by giving each other permission to talk about the struggles we have so that we can uh, be honest about the means and moments that might trip us up or we might fall into. We need those things in our lives to help us walk in the light that Jesus has promised to us. And just as an encouragement to you, if you haven't done as much reading or research on this as I have, one, one of the most effective things you can do is to really starve this sin. So we talked about it a little bit, but as, as they have more and more evidence and study about the effects pornography has on the brain, it's really startling. Um, and because what, what it does, it kind of hijacks some of our natural wiring and the things that um, make our brain kind of pulse in, in, in a similar way that some drugs do. And so one of the aspects of just internet pornography is the constant novelty that floods your brain with all these chemicals and your brain gets used to those things and it craves it more and more. And I think that is both a biological reality and I think there's a spiritual component to that as well. And so what you need to realize is that the more you say yes to that, the harder it is going to be to say no to that because your brain is literally going to crave it on some level. So that's both the internal and there's that external, that enemy that's going to encourage that in your life. But if you begin to starve it, the more you say no to it, the easier it's going to be to say no to it. You know, Charlie talked about it a couple weeks back, different sermon series, but when we talked about the spiritual discipline of fasting, if you condition your body to say no to the flesh, it's going to help you say yes to the spiritual things of God. This is a a, a war fault on multiple fronts. There is a physical component that we have a sex drive and we have brain chemistry and there's things going on that are firing when we look at those images on a screen. And so if um, everything in our life is geared to saying yes, 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 yes to all of the desires we have, it's going to make it a lot harder for us to ever stand on principle and say no to things. But if we are walking with Jesus and utilizing the tools God has given us into his word to encounter him and to be with him, things like saying no to the flesh of dying to ourselves and taking up our cross, the more we do that and the closer we get to God, the easier it's going to be to say no to those things. And so we need to realize we need to starve it. We don't need to give it any place in our life. We need to flee it as much as we possibly can. The Bible does not encourage us to get as close to sexual temptation as we can and just not trespass. No, it says get away from it. Get as far away from it as possible because many have gone down that path and it leads towards death. And so we need practical safeguards in our life, but that needs to be accompanied by spiritual renewal. You know, it's a phrase that's repeated here quite often, you know, self-discipline is a depleting resource. So we need it. You know, Paul talks about that, you know, to beat your body into submission and make it your master. We need self-discipline for those moments. But if that is not accompanied by spiritual renewal of closeness with Jesus Christ, eventually it will fail. And so if you would uh, look with me in Romans chapter 12. This is what Paul says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We have to fight on multiple fronts. We need practical safeguards, but we also need Jesus Christ to renew our hearts and minds. And so part of the, the, the Christian walk of orienting our life towards God is the recognition that we have sinful desires, but asking God to replace those desires with a greater desire and a greater love for him. And so one of the things we need to take seriously is cultivating our relationship with Jesus. And so if, if you come to church to be a slightly moral, more moral person, like I just want to be a good person, so that's why I come to church, um, this is probably always going to be a struggle for you. Because there's going to be, sometimes you fight, and there's going to be sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But if you come to church, and if you're in this room, because you want to encounter a living God that desires an intimate, close, personal relationship with you, there is hope that there is a future out there where your desires for sinful things are replaced with a greater affection for Jesus Christ. And I believe that's what Paul's talking about. There's a normal way to go through life, the pattern of this world, and it's indulging our flesh. But we need to be renewed and transformed by the renewal of our minds, that as we spend time with Jesus Christ, that you know, we were talking about it in staff this week in 2 Corinthians. It says when we come to Jesus, the veil is removed. And, and when we behold the glory, the glory of God will be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. We want to put ourselves in position and proximity to our God so that we can behold his goodness, his character, his joy, all of the attributes that we admire in this world. And through that beholding, the work of God's going to continue to transform our hearts and minds and replace those lesser, more temporal desires with a greater desire. It's not a giving up of desire. It's a saying yes to something even better. So I love that Psalm, um, I'm going to get this right, Psalm 16, the end of Psalm 16 actually lays it out. It says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's not that pleasure and desire are bad things. We just place them on the wrong object. So when we uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ and when we take seriously that renewal of our minds, what we realize is that there is deeper pleasure, there is more joy, there is more happiness in right relationship with God than anything else in this world. And so we need both. We need practical safeguards, but we need spiritual renewal in our lives because it's one of those age-old adages. You can't just um, cease to think about something or cease to engage something. You need to um, bring in something better to replace it. It's kind of like that thing like, don't think about purple elephants. You're going to think about purple elephants. It's just the way our brains work. And so the Bible even talks about this, and uh, some of the old Puritan writers really latch on to this, that there is this act of us needing to put things to death in our life. But it's not enough just to put things to death. We also need to bring things to life. And so there's a, an old uh, dead British man named Thomas Chalmers, who was a philosopher and a, and a pastor and even somewhat of a scientist who had lots of great writings. But he, he wrote pretty extensively on this, and, and how he termed it is um, um, the expulsive power of a new affection. 
So it's not just that I want to get rid of pornography in my life. There also has to be this desire of, I want to grow closer with Jesus. And so like I was, I was working for, through a devotional at one point that talks about these specific issues. And it made this, um, um, this connection for me that I just found incredibly helpful. And, and it talked about that um, um, asking yourself the question of like, what is the opposite of lust? And so that is a word we use a lot, usually relates to this specific sin. It's this um, desiring, this looking at things we shouldn't. We talk about that a lot when we don't actually want to say the word pornography, like, oh, I've just been struggling with lust this week. Um, And so that's why we call this whole thing taboo, because we don't actually name it as often as we should. But lust is that underlying issue, uh, and the Bible does describe that. And so what is the opposite of lust? And so I think in my mind, most often I would have gone with purity. But really, if you think about what purity is, purity isn't the antithesis of something, it's just the absence of that. And so purity can't really be the opposite of lust because purity is just the absence of that sinfulness. And so really the opposite of lust is gratitude. And so we need both of those movements in our life of realizing like, hey, I don't want lust in my life, but it can't just be to focus on the negative of what we don't want. We actually need to identify and step into the positive of what God has called us to. And so if we are struggling with desiring things that God has not given to us, how we can combat that in our own lives through spiritual renewal and relationship with Jesus Christ is to actually be grateful for the things he has granted to us. And so there's, there is no silver bullets in any fight with sin, but man, if you're having a tough day and you are feeling that pull, uh, take a moment, take a breath, write down 10 great things that God's given you in your life. You know, if we uh, want to be free of this, we have to step into the things God has called us to. We have to ask him to renew our hearts and minds with love for him. And I think that's why Jesus said, you know, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So most of us, it's not necessarily a self-discipline problem. It's that we need to grow in the love and relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're asking yourself, how do I do that? That's why we talk so often about the idea of spiritual disciplines. And we use that word because Christians have used it for a long time. And maybe that has a, a negative image for you. But what that means is I'm going to place things and patterns and rhythms into my life that are going to put me into proximity with Jesus Christ so that I can be transformed by that relationship. So that's why we encourage regular Bible reading because we're going to encounter the living God through his word. That's why we encourage rhythms of prayer like we do in September collectively, but I hope you engage in in your life that you uh, stop and take moments and express thanks and glorify God and ask him to speak to you. That's why we want to do things like examination and ask God, okay, God, where am I straying and placing my trust in other things? That's why we want to take moments and fast. We want to take 24 hours or however it might be that God lives lays it on your heart of, God, I'm going to say no to these physical desires so that I can tap into this greater spiritual desire of knowing you. We need spiritual renewal in our lives. We need to both put things to death, but we also need to bring the good things of Jesus Christ to life. Uh, I pulled a quote from that devotional that um, has just stuck with me through years. I, I saved it on as a note in my phone. Um, I, so I, I don't know the author of this quote, but it's something like every once in a while when I'm just um, struggling with my thought life or whatever it might be, I, I go back and read it because it's just a powerful reminder for me. And this is what it says. It says, We must live lives experiencing pure, wholesome pleasures as good gifts from a loving God. We must cultivate a heart of thankfulness and gratitude which will foster genuine contentment We must repent of passivity and a constant desire for entertainment, which produces restlessness and boredom, and instead apply ourselves to creative pursuits 
service to others, and activities that promote our health. We must pursue genuine intimacy with others in community, and if we are married, also pursue emotional and sexual intimacy with our spouse. We must find the idols of our hearts that drive our obsession with pornography. In the tempting moments, we must turn away from those desires that are ruling us and look to Christ as the one who truly satisfies us. We must practice God's presence moment by moment, remembering Christ is better than the pleasures of sin. We must meditate on the hope we have in Christ, relishing in God's love for us, knowing a day is coming when we will be completely transformed by God and allowing that hope to inspire us. And so more than anything else this morning, I just want to encourage you to fight. You know, I said it a couple of weeks ago, but if you are struggling with sin, good. Because you know who doesn't struggle? Dead people. So the struggle is recognition that the Spirit's at work in your life, and we need to embrace that. And so let me just tell you this. I remember, it's just kind of coming to mind, I think it was seventh grade at a youth camp. Um, and I think the speaker just kind of addressed this in some way, it, along with a list of like 18 other big struggles. It was last night at camp. We were all strung out on Mountain Dew and hadn't slept in four days. Um, but they did kind of one of those moments like, hey, if you're struggling with any one of these 37 th- things, uh, like stand up and receive prayer. And God kind of hit me in that moment. It was still kind of close to that, that first time that pornography had gotten some roots in my life. And so I stood up and uh, some other sweaty, stinky teenagers gathered around me and prayed. And uh, then there was kind of a moment, and I'm not going to remember specifically, but something along the lines of like, congratulations, you're delivered. And then a week later, I struggled again. And it was really disheartening for me at the, at the time. I hadn't been honest with my parents yet. It was still kind of something I was just trying to manage and deal with on my own. Um, and, and so more, more than anything else, like I said, there's, there's not some silver bullet to this. And maybe God will um, magically deliver you, not magically, miraculously deliver you from this desire. I haven't experienced that yet. I still struggle with this desire. There's still things in my heart that pull against the things of God that I have to submit to him daily and walk in his freedom and walk in the light with the struggle of saying, hey, like, I, I still desire these things. Like, this is still a temptation for me. They're, they're, I still need these safeguards in my life. And so um, w- what I don't want to happen is um, for you to have that moment of courageous honesty where you say, hey, this is a struggle, and then feel like you have to be fixed from that point on. This is going to be a daily walk with the Lord. You know, nobody knows exactly what he was talking about, but Paul has this moment in Scripture where he says, like, I have this thorn in the flesh. Nobody knows what it is. People speculate about different things. And it's like, I pleaded with God to take this away from me, and he didn't. So I don't know if that was a sexual thing. I don't know if it was a physical thing. I don't know if it's some other type of temptation thing, but it was this idea of, like, I, I wanted God to remove this desire, but he did not. But what he did was still supply himself. And what he said in that moment is, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so I'm going to boast all the more gladly in my weakness because I know it makes Jesus look strong. And so if, um, in, 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 in this time that we're addressing this, if you do um, just feel that urging of the Spirit to come forward and to receive help, I just want you to know, like, you don't have to be fixed after that moment. We're just going to engage in the fight together, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him went to the cross, knowing exactly everything you've done and all the things you're still going to do from this day forward, and still said, I want you, and I love you.
You know, I was thinking, you know, you know kind of starting with that, that story about Churchill. And if any one of us just had a time machine and could go back to 1940 in London when uh, just the fear of what was about to take place um, was just kind of setting over people. They knew the air raids were going to come. They knew so far nobody had been remotely successful in defeating the Nazis. Like, I wonder what we would want to tell people. And what I would speculate is this, like, hey, we know what happens, and the enemy loses, and you're going to be victorious. So let me tell you something about your fight against sin that maybe you've lost thousands and thousands of times. I know what happens at the end. The enemy is defeated, your sin's defeated, and Jesus is victorious. And that's the end of all of your stories. So it doesn't matter what point you are today. Remember that. That there is freedom and hope in Jesus Christ. And he desires that you would have life in life abundantly. Would you pray with me?